0: Makes my job a whole lot easier. Um, just, just to be honest with you, I've had a sermon that I've wanted to preach for quite, a, quite some time now, and I've really planned on doing it uh, this this week. Uh, but as I began to prepare, God just did not give me a piece about it, and so he, I believe that what I'm going to share with you today is exactly what God wants for you to have, because it's not what I wanted you to have. Um, but that's all right. Uh, If you notice, title's up there, Lift Up Holy Hands, and just to put any of your thoughts and worries aside, um, this is not my plea to become the next music minister. This is really not a worship thing. George and Debbie there will tell you that that's a good thing, because they sit right in front of me when I'm singing. Uh, That would not be edifying to the church uh, for me to be up here singing. So uh, It's really not about worship as we think about worship. But it is about, I think, an act of worship. One that's very important, but doesn't necessarily involve music. Um, Before I really get too deep into what what I think God's laid on my heart, I do want to share something real quick. I want to answer a question that that I was given this week. Um, There was a good and honest question. I think it deserved a good and honest answer. Um, this, This message is about the transition our church is going through and what comes next for our church. Um, and I want you guys to understand that we prayerfully examined every resume that came across our table as, as committee members, search committee members. We looked at them. We did not take it lightly at all. We took good, hard, serious looks at each resume. Um, and some of them looked very good on paper. Some of them had more education than Daniel. Some of them had more years of experience than Daniel. Some of them had been senior pastors before. And I'm sure that under the right circumstances, some of them could have been very successful here. However, I believe it is impossible to fully gauge a person's heart by what's on paper. On paper, Daniel would have been right in the mix. His resume is good. um, But what I know... Of Daniel, what I've seen with my own two eyes are more important than anything Daniel could put on his resume. So why not just call five or six then? That was the question. Why not call five or six in and talk to them? And, and there's a good answer for that. Because honestly, my first time on a search committee, I was kind of that same way. Like, let's just talk to everybody. I want to interview everybody. I want to talk to people anyway. I want to hear what their heart is and know more about them. And there's a good reason why we didn't do that. It's dangerous to a pastor who comes for an interview and doesn't get the job because ministry is a lot like coaching. To be in ministry, you have to get buy-in from the people you're, you're serving. And if the church, his church hears that he's going for interviews and he's fielding calls and looking for a new job, and then he doesn't get it, he has to go back to his church and sometimes face that, well, if you want out, then we don't want you, we're not going to follow you anyway. So it's dangerous for him. It's dangerous for his church. And it's not our desire to put any other pastor or any other church in danger because we want to just hear their answers to some questions. Um, But I do want you to know that we did not just put the resumes in a folder and then go ask Daniel to apply. We prayed. We read over the resumes. We prayed some more. We studied the resumes. We prayed some more. And there was no one there that was so much better on paper to give us confidence that they were more capable than Daniel is. Uh, So we asked Daniel if he would allow us to consider him. Um, I have a lot more to say on the issue, but this isn't what the issue, this isn't the message today. I have a lot to say on it. I'd be glad to field any questions, because I think it has to be done in openness and in honesty. So if you have an individual question or small group question, you want to meet with me after church, I would love to field questions about it. But I want you to understand that that's where I'm coming from this morning. coming from a place that next week we're going to make a major vote for our church. And I believe that we've made the right recommendation or else I wouldn't have made it. Um, But I also am not afraid to be asked tough questions. It's the same thing when I talked to Daniel about letting us consider him. I said, look, if we're going to consider you, I want to be able to ask you tough questions because tough questions have to be answered for our church to do what needs to be done. And we asked those questions and I was very satisfied with his answers. So if you have tough questions for us, please don't sit on it. Don't let it make you bitter or cold to the process. Come ask them, because there's a reason behind the decision that we made, and I believe it's the right decision for our church. And uh, we'll vote on that next week. Um, but let me be honest: this message today is not about Daniel, and it's not about um, even our next pastor and that role, but. it's about something that I believe that is more important to the success of our church than who God allows to be our pastor. And that's us doing our part. You see, often people are considered successful leaders because the people under them are doing things that have to be done to make the leader and essentially the whole group be successful. And uh, I think I can back that up with scriptures. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to look at in one way, that that the success of this church, the future of this church, the effectiveness of this church in our community lies more with us than with the man who fills this pulpit every week. And I think it's an important role. It's not one that I want to just say is, obviously, it's significant. But it is not the most significant part of our plan of success and our plan of attack if we want to honestly make our community more God-centered and more like what God wants it to be. So we're in Exodus chapter 17. We're going to read a story here um, in Exodus 17. It's a short story, 8 through 13. So um, if you found your place, we're just, to, we're just going to dig in. Exodus 17, 8 through 13. It says this, this, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go fight. Uh, Go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you and I thank you, God, for the opportunity that you've given me this morning to share what you've laid on my heart, Lord. I pray that, uh, God, we will be active in your plan and active in your will, Lord. I pray that we won't depend on any one person or or a team of five people, or whatever you assemble, I I pray that we won't depend on them to be your hands and feet in this community, God, but that we will do our part. God, I pray that we will do more than our part, that we will go above and beyond to make sure that your name is proclaimed in our community, in our town, in our families, in our homes. Lord, I pray that you will do a work that, God, we... We long to see, God. We want true revival. God, I don't want to just have revival services. I want to have revival. I want to see you move. I want to see you work, God. I don't want to just see it. I want to be a part of it. God, I pray that you give us a heart of hunger to see change in our own personal lives, in our families, in our community. We love you. We thank you for what you're doing, and we thank you even more for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we see here is that it was Moses' hands that had to be raised for the people of Israel to be successful. I want, I, I'm a little bit, I, I, you guys know I'm a visual guy, I like to have a visual. I don't have a visual this morning, I'm kind of disappointed. I like having a visual, okay? I don't really have one. So I'm hoping that you can get a visual in your mind, because here's what we see. We see that God has given Moses a command, he said, go out, fight Amalek, I'm going to give you victory. But he said, here's how it's going to be done, because God likes to do things In an unorthodox way, that's one reason that I'm such a, uh, I don't know, that's such a bad word. That's the reason I don't like tradition a whole lot, because I don't see God doing the same things over and over. God likes to do things new and different and keep it exciting, right? I think God likes that. And so he said, here's how I'm going to deliver you. I could send out my angels like I did several times and destroy different people, and I could send fire from heaven, and I could open the Red Sea and then drown the Egyptians. I can do all that, but you know, that's tired. I've done that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you up on the mountainside, Moses, and I want you to just hold your hands up with the rod of God. Hold your hands up. And while you're holding your hands up, I'm going to give you victory. And see, I, I, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but God, I think, is trying to make a point, not just to Israel, but to us. Moses is Israel's leader. And he said, I'm putting this on you, Moses. It's not even about the guys in the battle. When you're up on the hill and you got your hands raised, we're going to win. It's going to be great. Can't wait. Moses like, oh, that's easy. I can can raise my hands. I can do that. Okay, yeah, let's go. Joshua, get the men ready. Tomorrow we're fighting Amalek. God's going to do a great work, and I'm going to stand on top of the hill watching with my hands up. It's going to be great. And so, Moses goes up on the hill early in the morning, and his hands are up with the rod of God, and the people in the valley, man, they are whipping some tail. It's good stuff. It's on. And they're like, yeah, this is good. This is really good. And so he stands there, and you know, time passes. And something happens. Moses' arms start to get kind of heavy. Like, what? Hold on. Okay. I'm just going to take a break. Just a minute. Just a minute. I'm Got to shake this out a little bit. You know, you watch Ninja Warrior, those guys are always shaking their arms out. That's what I think that's what Moses is doing. He's just shaking them out. But then he notices, man, when our hands are down, we're losing. Maybe God didn't even tell him that part. Maybe that was just God said, raise your hands, you win. That's all he thought about. Well, he didn't think about what happens when I put my hands down. Okay, now we're losing. This isn't good. Okay, I got to get my hands back up. He gets his hands up. And now he's been standing on top of the mountain for a couple of hours with his arms raised, and he's fatigued, and he is tired, and he is wore out. It doesn't seem hard. He's holding his hands up. How hard is that? How hard is it to get up here and preach once a month, once a week? How, I mean, man, pastor's got it easy. It's a lot more than that. It wears on you. So his arms are up and he gets tired, and, and, and Aaron and Hur are up there with him. Man, I love Aaron and Hur in this situation. Now Aaron, if you read through Exodus, Aaron made a lot of bonehead decisions. He was a knucklehead, all right? Hur, we don't know as much about, but Aaron, we know, what didn't always get it right, okay? If you don't believe me, he made a golden calf, okay? I mean, that's all you really need to know. And then lied about it, said God made it. Anyway, that's another story for another day. But Aaron and Hur said, man, Moses is getting tired, and his legs are shaking, his arms are shaking. This ain't good because when his hands go down, we saw what happened, we began to lose. And so they go and get a rock. I love this. This part often gets left out. They go and find a rock. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but if they got like a rock and they said, okay, Moses, we brought you a seat, it's not going to help, right? And then Moses is going to be like squatted down and like, that's, that's no good. They had to go get him a rock. They went and got him a boulder. It says that they brought him. I love that. They didn't say they they, they they there was one close by. They went and got it. And they carried it over, and they put it behind Moses, and they made a place for Moses to sit. And I believe, personally, I believe that that was the first process. That was the first thing. When you read it it's such a short story, it sounds like they did it all at one time. I don't think they did. They went and got him a rock, and they said, Here, Moses, this will help. You can take a little pressure off. You can sit. And so Moses sat and he held the rod he of God up, and the people won. And this is good. But over time, even that wasn't enough. And so what did Aaron and Hur do next? I love it. I love it. Moses is sitting, and Aaron and Hur are standing by his sides, with his arms on their shoulders, and his arms were held steady by Aaron and And her. Now I can tell by your faces that some of you are not as amazed by this as I am. That's okay. It's okay because I hope by the end you are. But here's the picture: it is Moses' hands that matter. It is Moses' leadership that's going to get the credit for the victory. But it is Aaron and her who made it possible. They refused. Listen to me, people. They refused. To let Moses fail. They said he can't do it on his own. And I don't care if I get credit. I don't care if my name even goes in the storybook. I'm not letting Moses fail because when Moses fails, we all fail. When Moses fails, we all lose. When Moses fails, the enemy wins. And the name of God is blasphemed. And I don't know if if you're picking up what I'm putting down here. It doesn't matter whether it was Brother Clayton, Brother Daniel, somewhere down the road, it's somewhere else, someone else. It doesn't matter if we're doing our job, we will set them up for success and we will not let them fail. Listen, I love Daniel and I believe with all my heart that Daniel... Uh, uh, if the vote goes the way that I believe that it should and the way I believe it will, Daniel will make an outstanding pastor. I believe that with all my heart. But if it was somewhere, someone else, I would be just as passionate that we do our job so that they can do their job. It's not because I love Daniel. It's because I love Jesus that I want to be a supporter of our leadership. I want to be a supporter of our pastor. I want to be a supporter of of what our church is doing. I want to be involved. I do not want to be a spectator. Because let me tell you what happens in a lot of American churches today. If this story was in American churches today, there would be a lot of people giving suggestions on how Moses could keep his hands up longer. Man, if you would just do this. You know, I, I saw it on YouTube one time. This person held his hands up for like hours and hours. You can do it. I'll pray for you. Thanks. Well, we'll get a committee together, and we'll see if there's any other churches who've had their pastors hold their hands up for hours, and if so, they can tell us how to do it. The problem is a lot simpler than what we make it. Get yourself up under his arm and hold it up. Does that mean that I'm going to blindly follow everything that a pastor tells me to do? Absolutely not. I'm going to compare every word. I want you, listen to me, I want you to hold everything that I say from the pulpit this morning up next to the word of God, and if any of it doesn't line up, throw it out and tell me not to to come back. I'm fine with that because God's word is truth. My word has a possibility, and some people might say a strong possibility, of being wrong. And this, knew I could count on Forrest. And that should be with every preacher that fills any pulpit in America. If you want to follow a man, then you're going to be led astray. No matter how good their intentions are. So I'm not saying follow blindly. Hold them accountable in the Word of God. But when what they say lines up with the Word of God, do your part. And be willing to do the part of someone who's not going to do their part. Getting a little fired up, and I'm okay with it. Um... I got, I got like four pages of notes. I'm just kind of skimming through because you don't want all four of it, okay? Oh. We want to compare those type of church members. And I used the word church member this morning because I, I'm speaking specifically to you as my fellow brothers and sisters of this church. But really, it's for all Christians. Now, those of you who know me well and have heard me preach, this sermon is outside of my comfort zone. I really don't consider myself a preacher. I consider myself, if anything, in Christ an evangelist. I want to just hit you with the gospel. I want to stomp on your heart with the truth of God's word and your need for salvation. That's what I love. But I'm also passionate about his church because if we're going to get people saved, they have to know there's something different about us. We're going to compare Aaron and her And their leadership, and I say leadership, did you catch that? It was leadership. Aaron and her were leaders. Just by standing there and holding up the hands of Moses, they were leading by servanthood. And I don't think there's any other way to lead. I don't think there's any other way to lead. Now, there are ways to be called a leader that don't involve servanthood, but you ain't a leader. You're a front runner. That's totally different. But we're going to compare that to some other of the Israelites. So turn just a couple pages over to Exodus chapter 20. Those of you who are familiar with with Exodus, you might know that Exodus 20 is where we get the Ten Commandments. God has given Moses the Ten Commandments. He came, he met with Moses on the mountain, and there's thundering and lightning, and don't touch the mountain or you'll die, and there's all this stuff. It's really a good story. I encourage you to read it along with the rest of the stories in the Bible at some point. Okay? But we want to look not at the giving of the 10 commandments but at the people's response. And I believe that people are still responding to God in this way today. So look in Exodus 20 verse 18 through 21. Exodus 20:18 20, says, "And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off." And they said unto Moses, listen to this, this is one of the saddest statements in the Bible. Listen. Verse 19, they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But do not let God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near to God into the thickness where God was. Listen to me. Two responses. Aaron and Hur said, I'm not going to let my leader fail. I'm going to serve. I'm going to hold his arms up. And then there's the people of Exodus 20 who said, look, Moses, here's what we want out of you. This is all we want out of you. No big deal. We want you to be our between between us and God. You have a relationship with God. You tell us what God wants us to do, and we'll follow you. Uh, But we don't want to really be in God's presence because that's kind of a scary thing because God is big and he's powerful and, and we've seen him do all these great miracles. So we don't want to be personally in a relationship with God. We want you to basically be God for us. And as long as your relationship with God is good, then our relationship with God is good because we're following you. How sad is that? Listen to me, there are people in this church, there are people in our community who believe they have a relationship with God, but what they really have is a relationship with their pastor, a relationship with their parents, a relationship with uh, their husband or their wife who has a relationship with God. I follow God by proxy. That doesn't work. I have a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And that's what we're called to. Now it's true uh, that in the New Testament, Paul says, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. It's okay to follow the leadership that God puts in your life. It's okay to follow those things. But it's not okay to substitute following a man or a woman with following God directly and having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The reality is that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, Man, woman, boy, and girl have no opportunity at heaven. Heaven is about, listen to me, heaven is about one thing and one thing only. It is not about the streets of gold. It is not about the pearly gates. It is not about being reunited with other believers who have gone on before us, though those things are wonderful. Heaven is about one thing. It's about eternally being in the undefiled presence of God and worshiping at His feet, and serving Him as He designed us to do. So what makes you think that you are qualified to do that if you don't follow Him here? What would make heaven so great if the one thing we have to do when we get there is the one thing we refuse to do while we're here? Lord, I can't wait to get to heaven so I can finally start really serving you. God has saved you to serve Him here, and God has brought you to Danville to serve Him here, and God will take you wherever He takes you next to serve Him there. Not so you could go to heaven. Salvation is not. Listen, if you don't hear it, salvation is not so you can go to heaven. Salvation is not so you cannot go to hell. Those are perks for show. Salvation is about a relationship with Jesus Christ and being able to serve Him and helping other people come to know Him. He has given us each a role in the body of Christ. Turn over with me. We're going to go to the New Testament just for a few minutes because Stuart wouldn't let me live it down if I didn't. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at how this applies to us Right now. I have been saved and I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ for one purpose. That's to serve Him now. To serve Him now. So Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Giving you just a few seconds, man. I love to hear the turning of pages. Searching in God's Word. We need to do that more, not less. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We're in verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man, ...under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and by cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by the fact or or by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let me break that down for you. God has given us all different roles, but we all have a role, and the point of your role, whatever your role is, the point is to make whole the body of Christ, to grow up into uh, if you catch the wording here, this is good. Um, verse 15, the last part there says, May we grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So basically what we have in the American church especially is we have the head of Christ. And it's, it's big, big head. Not like big like conceited, but it's, it's big. It's a full-grown, per- perfect, complete head. And then we have it on an infant's body. I don't know if you know, that doesn't really work. So we have the perfect adult head here, and we've got this little bitty body because we're not doing, we haven't grown up into what God wants us to be. We haven't matured into what God wants us to be. And we're trying to support an adult head with a baby body. But what God has called for us to do is to fulfill our role so that the body can mature and we can have an adult body, the church, who's all about serving the needs of the head. That made a whole lot more sense in my mind, I think, than it did coming out of my mouth. But God's will is that we come together to do what God wants us to do. Verse 13, it says, Till we all come in unity of faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man. Now, when it says perfect, what it means is complete, mature. So that we come together to make a mature man. Unto what? Under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen, he doesn't want us to be a church that's pretty good. He doesn't want us to be better than the church down the road or First Baptist Church of wherever. He wants us to be a church that is worthy of the name and the fullness of the title Jesus Christ. I don't know how seriously we take that responsibility. We come together. We fellowship, we sing some songs, we somewhat listen to a message, we shake hands, we say, oh, I'm so glad to see you, we go home, and we wait until next week, and we do it all over again. Maybe we come on Wednesday night, maybe we do a little something here or there, but we are called to work together to be worthy of the call of Christ. That's big, folks, that is big, I tell my players sometimes, man, it means something to put on the green and white jersey that says Danville across the front. It means something. You should take pride in it. It it means a whole lot more to put on the mantle of Jesus Christ. We don't, we go to church, we don't take pride the way we should too often. And it means something. It should drive the way we live. It should drive the way we act. It should drive our conversations with people that we run into outside. Because whether you believe it or not, whether you're even saved or not, the very fact that you come to our church means you are associated with our church, and our church is associated with the name of Jesus Christ. I have all the time people say, you know, about different people here at my old church, whatever, but, oh, that's the church where so-and-so goes. Sometimes. Listen. this morning, I'm glad you're here. Wherever you stand with Jesus, I'm glad you're here. If you're lost, I'm glad you're here. If you're living in gross sin, I'm glad you're here. Man, if things are going great in your life and you're as hungry as you've ever been, you're serving God with passion, I'm glad you're here. I'm not saying don't come. I'm saying live worthy of the fact that someone associates you with our church and they associate our church with God. You are a reflection of God. I am a reflection of God. And listen, I'm not a good reflection all the time. I'll be the first to admit, I blow it more than I like. But at the end of the day, if I'm the best picture, what someone sees of Jesus, I've got to do better. Period. I've got to do better. And I want that to be your heart and your mind. We're going to close up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, I couldn't get out of here without at least giving one good altar call, guys. I couldn't. Without giving you one call to salvation, I, I feel like that would be wasting my opportunity. But I'll try to move quickly. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we're starting verse 8 says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor, we work, that whether we are present or whether we are absent, we may be accepted of Him. Listen, why do we work? So that we can be accepted by God. So our relationship can be what it's supposed to be with God. It's not for congratulations or for pats on the back or for a new position or role. We work so that we can be accepted both now and in the future by God. That's that's free. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust that you also are made manifest in your consciences. I want you to wrap your mind around a couple things here. Number one, it is science. It is science that saved people, make better church members. It's just, it's proven that saved people, make better church members. So I want you, first and foremost, to, to be saved. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you say, I'm one of those people who I have lived through my pastors, through my parents. My hope is that my parents have taught me good enough that I can be saved. They can't teach you good enough unless they're teaching you solely to rely on Jesus Christ. Maybe you realize that you started coming to church because your wife or your husband wanted you to come with them, and you just okay, I like it, I'll keep going. But you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. You can change a counterfeit relationship into a real one real quick. It's not hard. It's acknowledging your sin and your need for Christ, surrendering to His Lordship, and allowing Him to save you. That's what salvation is. Maybe there's others here who are genuinely saved. You know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, but you've lost track of the fact that someday we all are going to stand before the judgment of seat of Christ. Every single one of us will give an account For the works that we do in our body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. You see, my sins will not be judged on Judgment Day. My sins have already been judged. They were nailed to the cross when Jesus Christ was crucified. I won't answer for my sins because my sins have already been answered for, but I will answer for what I've done since I've been saved. See, I believe very much that there's a reason that the Bible is clear that every tear will be wiped away when we enter into heaven. It's because many tears will be shed for missed opportunities lost loved ones. Chances we had to share the gospel, that we were just too busy. We were just too uncomfortable. That's just not what I do. I just not. Bless your heart. We're all going to answer for what we've done. And while it's true that I believe that that I will receive a few crowns because I think God has allowed me to be a part of a few things, and that's going to be joyous. I think I'm also going to shed many tears because for every crown that I was faithful, I was probably unfaithful five, six, seven hundred times. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that... I know I said it kind of in a joking manner, but the reality is it's not funny. I've got a couple dear friends that I know... I blew it with. And my days and my opportunities to share with them have passed. And I'm going to answer for that. Listen, I already answer for it a lot. I don't ever want to lose sensitivity to the fact that what I do matters one way or the other. God doesn't need me God allows me to be a part of it, but I need to serve. I need to work. Because what kind of bum would take a gift like I've been given and squander it and not use it to help the one who's given it to me? I'm not that guy. I'm going to hold up the hands of our pastors. And whether we have a pastor or we don't have a pastor, I am going to serve. And I believe God has called you to do the same. Man, verse uh, verse 11 there. Tough. Wherefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, listen, my God is a good God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. But He's also a God of righteousness and justice. And even though he's a good God, I also know that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. To face a God who is disappointed with the decisions I've made with what he has given me. I just want to I just want to make him happy. And I don't believe there's any greater way to do that than to serve our church, serve our community. Because that's the only way I know to serve God. Can you really serve God without serving people? Does God need anything that we have? No. The only way I know to serve God is to serve people. Not by coming in here and listening and letting the beans burn because I'm a couple minutes over my time. That doesn't get you a crown. Okay? What gets you a crown is being about it, doing it. Whatever it is, what God's called you to do, do it. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to have a time of invitation. Maybe today you realize you don't have your own relationship with Jesus Christ. Please, please, please come talk to me. Grab Daniel. Grab one of these other people. Maybe you know, if you're a woman and you feel more comfortable, talk to my wife or, or Kayla or one of these other women that are, that are seasoned, that you're confident, or, or walking in Christ. But that is the most important thing. And secondly, if, you're, if you are saved, examine what you're doing for Christ. And whatever you're doing, listen, whether you're the most active member or the least active, whatever you're doing for Christ, commit to do more. Because He deserves more. He deserves a lot more than what I give. And then be about it. Jesus, I love you and I thank you for the... This church, God, I thank you for the way you've used this church in my life to build me, to grow me, to to, to develop me in my own walk. Um, God, I thank you for this church, God, but I pray that you won't leave it the way it is. God, I pray that we will experience revival, Lord, and I don't believe that revival will come just simply because we ask for it. I believe that revival will come when we are committed to bringing about revival and living and walking in your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that even now in this invitation that you will draw men and women, boys and girls to yourself. And I pray for the lost here, God, and I believe there are lost here. I pray that they will not be able to white-knuckle grip their pew, but that they will come and be saved. Lord, I pray for Christians that we will be sensitive to what you're calling us to do and that we will do whatever you've called us to do next. God, I pray you'll do a work that only you can take credit for. And I pray that you'll start it in my heart. And then do whatever it is you need to do. I love you. I thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with me. The altar is open, and I am free. So come on.